at 24, when I had this belief system still in place that, you know, when we die, that's it. We're dead in the ground. There's, we cease to exist and this is our one and only life. You know, I kind of, at the bedside, in that moment when I was sitting and watching him die, just he and I, and he finally went, I knew almost instantaneously that that couldn't be true. You know, it's just, I, I don't know how else to explain it, but he just, I could feel his presence, you know, I knew he was still there. Hello and welcome to Grief, Gratitude and the Grey in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. And listen to this conversation that I'll be having with Sophie Mills. Sophie is the founder of The Grief Revolution, is a spiritual grief coach, and she has a background in holistic occupational therapy. And uh, we will be learning even more things. I won't go along all the different things on the uh, bio here, but I'm excited to get to know you as we record this podcast, Sophie. So welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so grateful for this platform that you've created. Uh, well, I'm just, I'm glad I'm able to provide this platform, but honestly, I wouldn't be able to have this platform if I didn't have people willing to be on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so thank you for agreeing to be on the, on the podcast. Thank yes, you. It's a, it's a dance between us, isn't it? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So Sophie, tell us about you. Tell us where you're from. People are listening to the accent. Actually, this is the first time I think I'm recording an episode in the evening to just be able to coincide with our time difference here. So um, tell us where you live and a little bit about your life. Uh, yes, I'm from Perth, Australia. So happy to be the first one. It's uh, it's summer over here. It's hot, hot, hot. And, uh... <laughs> and I'm wearing a sweatshirt as you see. <laughs> as you see me, I can't see you because your cameras are not working today, but I'm wearing a sweatshirt. I'm talking like to this empty screen right here, you guys. And for those of you listening, it feels so odd because I'm like, she can see me, but I can't see her. So I just have to remember you're watching so that I don't do anything inappropriate just because I don't see you. <laughs> and yes, you look wonderful. I am, look, let me explain to you. I'm in, I'm in shorts and a little workout tea because <laughs> it's hot. It's hot and it's morning. Yeah. It's morning, right? Yeah, for you. Well, it's gonna early be, morning. Oh, you probably you guys don't do degrees over there, do you? It's 30, 31, 32 degrees. We do, but yeah, we do um, Fahrenheit and you do Celsius. Yeah, right. I don't know what yeah, the, yeah. The translation. Is. It's it's funny because I grew up with Fahrenheit. I grew up with Celsius, yet 
ever since I've been in the States, my mind just completely switched to Fahrenheit. And now, now I don't even know how to do translate from one to the other, you know, like convert. So, um, okay. So tell us then a little bit about your family life as well, your upbringing and your little nucleus as well. Yeah. So I've got two little ones. I've got a, a Finn 15 months old and a Cooper four and a half. They, yeah, they are beautiful and their friendship is just forming into a magical little duo, yeah, which didn't start that way, but anyway. And I have a beautiful partner. He is actually a psychologist, which has been very helpful on my grief journey. Uh, and, yeah, I... What's, and what's your partner's his name? His name is Pat. Is, is Patrick. It Pat, okay. And, yeah, my, my story, I guess... It starts, you know, in childhood as they all do. But yes, yeah. Tell us about your. You know, I was raised in an atheist household, where we sort of held, I guess, one particular belief that is highly relevant to my story, and that is essentially that when we die, that's it. You know, we're dead in the ground, and we sort of cease to exist, and and also that this is our one and only life. That was sort of a, a, what I learned from my childhood. And, you know, this notion that that this is it, this is our one and only life, it sort of caused me really a great deal of suffering even before my actual mm. grief story, I guess, kicked in, you know, in that, mm-hmm. like, everything mattered. <laughs> you know, this was my one and only mm. life and I really need to make it perfect. I need to have no regrets. And so I held really a lot of anxiety and for me that manifested in a real need to kind of control everything in a really sort of severe perfectionism way. And, um, and then, of course, you know, in my early 20s, I had my quadriplegic father die unexpectedly um, mm-hmm. from head trauma. And, you know, now so I was his next of kin. I grew up in a family with two older brothers and my mom and my dad. But when I was nine years old, he had a skiing accident here in Australia, mm-hmm. broke his neck and became a quadriplegic. So, um, you know, we transitioned into that life, you know, as best you can. But at, when I turned uh, about 18, I think I was, maybe 19, my parents separated. My mum met, met someone else and um, carried on her life with him. So... For me, I became my dad's next of kin and, you know, at his bedside sort of after, you know, the actual day that it happened um, when, you know, the ambos came and we got him to the hospital and we learned that, you know, he wasn't going to live. Like it was just me. I was there. We sort of did the goodbye. And you were 18. Uh, You were 18 at that moment. No, that was when my parents separated. So... Yeah, from 18. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I was 24, 20, uh, yeah, 2014. Mm. Yeah, I was 24 when he died. Um, yeah, and I guess at 24 when I had this belief system still in place that, you know, when we die, that's it. We're dead in the ground. There's, we cease to exist and this is our one and only life. You know, I kind of at the bedside in that moment when I was sitting and watching him die, just he and I, and he finally went, I knew almost instantaneously that that couldn't be true. 
you know, it's just, I, I don't know how else to explain it, but he just, I could feel his presence, you know, I knew he was still there. And, mm-hmm. you know, my, I guess my dad and I, we were so deeply connected here in this physical world. You know, he really was like my person and, you know, not only was I his daughter, but I was also, you know, his carer and like we were friends, you know, and it was, I get it was a really uh, multi-layered relationship, I guess. But within a day or so, you know, I was, I will, he and I weren't actually living together when he died. I sort of lived five houses down the road. I like to be nice and close so that I could go there and help him each day. But after he died, I spent so much time just up at his house, you know, wanting to be close to him and, and also the practicalities of things. And one day, uh, probably actually only the next day or the day after he died, I was on his computer thinking, oh, you know, I think I've told everyone that he's died, but maybe I should check his emails and see if there's anyone that I've missed. So I'm up there and, um, you know, I sort of just tapped something and he had this um, sound system that sort of blared music all through his house. And I just tapped something thinking I was going into emails and this music just turned on as loud as anything. What song? What song was it? Was it something similar? Very much so. It was uh, Dan Morrison Days Like This, which is if I could pick a song that reminded me of my dad, it's it's that song, you know. Um, Like we played it at his funeral. It's you know, anytime you think of Dan Morrison, you think of my dad. It's you know, and and I again, so I knew I was like, okay, he's here. Some you know, this is that is wild. And in this playlist, there was thousands of songs more you know and this one and and sort of shortly after that you know I started having some sort of visitations in my dreams and they were very vivid and very visceral and you know so anyway my story I guess is really about how death was like a portal for me into a spiritual awakening Mm-hmm. I I love it. And when you said that you couldn't explain it in that moment of knowing that there was more, like I, I was also present when my mom died. And so um, all of us were around her when she took her last breath. And it was a very, it was very clear in that moment that she was no longer associated with the body, mm-hmm. for us at least, for the body. But it was still this knowing, of course, I mean, I did grow up believing in afterlife, so a little bit different than you. So, but I can, I can totally relate to what you're saying of the knowing and feeling this amazing energy. I don't, it was, uh, do you, do you recall like that type of energy that you felt in that moment too? Oh, for me, it was love, you know, yeah. it, it, yes, it was yes. calm, it was peace. There was no... Fear. Yes. You know, this uh, this society that we live in, this this death averse mm-hmm. society is so scared of of death and birth and death, really, mm-hmm. which are the two portals in and out of this world. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this level of fear. And I remember sitting there being like, was that it? <laughs> As in, you know, I feel the love and I, but, but mm-hmm. that was it. There was no trauma there even though he died in a traumatic way in the sense that it was from head trauma he hit his head and he died but mm-hmm. the actual act of him leaving his body that wasn't scary it was it just was like it just 
you know, mm-hmm. there was no big crescendo, this, that. It, it just sort of happened very naturally, very calmly, very peacefully. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and I saw, you know, it was it was almost in that moment, I guess, I still teeter whether I woke up completely or whether I needed to read a few spiritual books before it happened. But, you know, this notion <laughs> that we kind of come into this world in the middle of the movie, you know, and we sort of leave in the middle of the movie, really, like where these eternal spiritual beings having this human experience at you know earth school i guess you could call it whatever however you want to look at it i i love how you just said that because it's just it you it's true it's just this continuation so we come in and it's just part of the whole uh perspective and by the way to the listeners because you've if this is the only episode you've ever heard then you will see that at different episodes we just interview people with different type you know different kinds of of beliefs beliefs about death and some you know don't believe in afterlife some do some believe in reincarnation some believe whatever it is and it's all respected so i but i right right now i'm very much in the i do believe similarly to you so if i kind of concur (laughs) with what you're saying (laughs) because i went um i want you to share a little bit of that little instagram reel you did that i was like oh my gosh because you just mentioned right now the two portals so let's talk about that that relationship between birth and then death that you did in that reel and your um your way of associating those two yeah that um that was really a, a big tribute and a thank you to my second born son he was, I wish you could see me right now, but he was birthed right where I'm sitting in, in my bedroom. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a home birth with um, just my partner and, and myself planned, um, which I know sounds crazy to many, but again, for us, it was, we didn't want that fear, you know, and I don't know too much about your guys' healthcare system, but over here, it's really, there's a lot of red tape and you've got to kind of tick and cross, you know, things and dot the I's and cross the T's and, and all that. And I understand that there's mm-hmm. um, value to that. But for us, we just wanted to birth our baby, <laughs> you know, undisturbed, just, mm-hmm. yeah, just in that in that sacred sort of space. And we did that. And when we did that alone, you know, in this palpable no, no doula or, or midwife? No, they came after. We called them after. Oh. You know, I wanted to get... You are... <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. I have a whole other level of respect for you, Sophie. Well, yes. I mean, <laughs> women have been birthing forever. I know. I know. I just, I just have not... And I know it's happened, like, with people, like, oh, it happened that I did it before the midwife arrived or before the doctor or whatever it is or because somebody was stuck in traffic and ended up doing it but to, you know the choice of just the two of you like I had and then who was taking care of Cooper so my mom lives across the road which is amazing okay yes. and so she had him okay and then I want to ask you after you share uh, um, Finn's birth I want to share then the contrast between that and Cooper's yes. birth then since you mentioned so, okay so go ahead so it's amazing <laughs> but yes, yes. So, so we birthed Finn and you know we'd, we'd done all the right things in that I'd done a baby CPR course and we knew that the ambulance would only take eight minutes if something were to happen and you know we had the right things in place but we, I also had a deep knowing that 
everything was going to be okay, which I know to some people sounds crazy and, and all the rest, but mm. I, ho- I have another story that I can tell about uh, a pregnancy that we had between Cooper and Finn and how my mm. intuition kicked in there as well. But anyway, uh, so yes, we birthed this beautiful, magical baby over 12 hours and it wasn't always easy, sure, but, uh, you know, I, I knew I was safe and I knew I was protected and I trusted and so when he arrived and you know I was very present in the moment for that but soon after within probably 24 hours I was reflecting on the birth and I realized that the energy in the room was exactly the same as it was when my dad died you know that that sense of calm and peace and and just palpable love in the room And it really got me thinking like, hey, hold on. Something that I hadn't really allowed myself to think too much about before about these two portals. And I had done so much inner work, I guess, in order to get myself into a headspace of being able to birth my baby in a room just with me and my partner. You know, that really took a lot of surrender and, you know, and I I did a lot of uh, hypnobirthing, hypnotherapy to try and get myself into the right space. And yeah, I realized that it's it's the same. It's, you know, and even just the, the waiting, or when will I go into labor? You know, that same thing. Of, the not well, knowing. Yeah, yeah the, un, the a little bit of the unknown, yeah, which we don't technically really know of when we leave this physical world either. So it's a little bit of that unknown. When will I die? Mm-hmm. When will I birth my baby? And how? How will I die? Mm-hmm. And how will my baby come into this mm-hmm. world? Will there be complications? Mm-hmm. Will there not? Will I die a traumatic death? Will it be a peaceful one, you know, in my sleep? it's There's so many similarities about mm-hmm. the two types of birth. And really, I now view death as uh, a, another birth into, you know, whatever comes next. Um, it's sort of just the same. And I believe, you know, here on earth, we, we have this welcome party, this celebration for the baby and they're here and congratulations and welcome. And I believe that we have the same once we leave this world, that wherever we go to, there is a celebration, potentially our loved ones that had died before us are there welcoming us, you know, it's, it's love and, and connection. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's just so beautiful to see it that way. And uh, when you shared that, I, I shared that I shared the video of my, yeah, I did share, right? Of the dancing. Did I share the yes, video with the translation to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of my, yeah the, we the are song. being reborn. I mean, I know it right. translated, but you know. <laughs> right. So yeah, it is. It's, it's, uh, I, I love that perspective. Now take us into, okay. Do you want to share the contrast between then, uh, Finn's birth and Cooper's birth, uh, or the other way around and, and why it is you chose then, a home birth or on your own. Uh, and then afterwards, I also want to talk about, um, and just escape me, do that. And then I'll just, uh, if you can share that contrast and then I'll ask you the other question when I formulate yeah, it. Yeah, so Cooper's birth, um, so that, yeah, that was my first pregnancy and my first baby. And we were actually in a different state in Darwin. Um, so we didn't have our support systems, my family or my partner Pat's family. Um, and we had planned, we had planned a hospital birth in a birth center. And Mm -hmm. when my waters broke, uh, 
you know, I, I called the midwife and I'd planned to sort of uh, labor at home until it got pretty intense and then go in because um, we were only five minutes from the hospital. It was quite a small city that we were living in at the time. Um, but yeah, when I uh, called the midwife, she said, oh yeah, yeah, and I'm sure your waters are all uh, clear and whatever. And I said, oh no, they're not actually. So anyway, they, they got me to come uh-huh. in um, for what I thought was a check, but I never left. So uh, it was meconium. I don't know if you're your listening. No. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yes. So anyway, it just meant that I had to be monitored and I had to be upstairs in the hospital just making sure that the baby wasn't in distress. And so that sort of turned our birth plan a, a bit on its head. Um, mm-hmm. And it meant that I then laboured on my back um, pretty uncomfortably for a good long while. I, I still I had a goal of no pain relief, which I managed to do but I had to be induced and have um a synthetic uh syntocin or whatever it's called Mm -hmm. um and yeah it was it was a an uncomfortable birth ending in an episiotomy and forceps and um so it was it was traumatic in a sense and there was a Mm -hmm. lot of intervention and a lot of lights on me and just you know I kept asking the midwives can we turn the light off can we just you know lower the voices mm. lower the room can we put some music on and it was it just wasn't it was quite clinical and that really I think affected my headspace and I believe that we have such a deep connection between you know our mind and the energy of the room and then how our body can relax and surrender I don't mm. believe that I was able to fully relax and surrender and therefore my baby didn't arrive on his own you know I needed help yeah mm-hmm. and that's what sort of mm-hmm. then you know made me choose a, a different experience for my my next birth for your for your I third pregnancy birth. then which was Finn so you shared that that your intuition kicked in for your second birth uh, pregnancy which I also my first pregnancy was also not a viable uh, pregnancy but what what uh, what happened in that pregnancy that you your intuition kicked in of something that you know something was off? Yeah, yeah, it was so interesting. So for my first Cooper, you know, you always know that that a miscarriage may happen or that your baby may die somewhere along the way or even during labour, but you know, a smaller chance there. And I just knew with Cooper, my oldest, I was going to be birthing a healthy live baby. I didn't. There was no fear. And, you know, I have a history of, of fear and anxiety in my life and I just felt none of it. And then we got pregnant again and I, it was just different. I just had this feeling that every time, you know, I, and, you know, whatever's happening in your life, you look for podcasts and you look for books and whatever it is that's relevant to you in your life. And I kept being drawn to these stories of women who had birthed babies that weren't alive, you know, and I, I, I tried to do all the pushing out of my mind. No, no, no. You just, you know, positive thinking. I can manifest my reality. I I won't have that, you know, but even my partner, he was struggling a lot of the time. And I called him numerous times saying, just keep your phone on you. I don't, I don't know why I just, you know, I just, yeah, it just was resonating. And then I have to laugh now, but it was April Fool's that I, I uh, looked down uh, and, and saw bright red blood and knew, okay, you know, and I know I was in no way. How far along were you? Uh, we into our second you trimester. Oh, yeah, hmm. and I, yeah, I, you know, that's bright red blood and and the amount of blood, I guess, that I was seeing, I, I knew 
right away. And, and you know, in hindsight, I, I knew well before then anyway, even though, As yeah, well. even though we'd had, mm. uh, you know, ultrasounds and whatever saying that the baby was healthy and viable. But, um, mm. yeah, it was interesting. And, you know, and then when I became pregnant with Finn again, none, nothing, no fear, no the fear of, which is odd because I like for me like I both my for myself like both of my pregnancies after my first one I was like super nervous because I had already had you know mm-hmm. a, a miscarriage so it was quite the opposite than you like you just the knowing for you was what kept you calm for me it was the oh my gosh no I don't you know I was just nervous I I, I want to ask you how did the grief experience how was that ex- experience because this happened after your dad having died correct yeah. so how was that experience of grieving the loss of your child in relation to you having experienced the death of your of your father honestly it sounds wild but easier substantially easier mm. and it's and I put that down to my experience. I I have this complete trust in the universe now, which I didn't have when my dad died. Mm. And, you know, I still grieved for sure and still grieve, but I know how to. <laughs> I know how to sit with my mm. emotions and move through them and I've found my ways of self-care and ensure that I have enough time and I journal and I do all the things. But with my dad, I, I had none of those skills, but I also didn't have that deep trust. I trust that that baby that isn't physically here living, that that was their journey, that whether, mm. you know, whether me and that baby had some sort of an agreement before we came here that we would have that experience together, you know, I I don't know and I don't mm. need to know. I, I just trust that whatever learning and growth and expansion that came from that experience for me and for my baby is what is what was needed is what we wanted is what we chose Mm. you know that having that belief system really gives me such a sense of peace and comfort in any adversity and you know sure I don't Mm. want my loved ones to die (laughs) no but I, I trust that whatever I come across in my life that it will be for me, for my growth and for my expansion. Yeah. Yes. So ex- explain to us then a little bit about then that contrast and growth then from when you experience your dad's death to then your uh, pregnancy and that spiritual mm-hmm. growth and journey throughout. And, uh, and then we'll go from there into what it is you do now. Yeah. So I mean, I'm a scientist. I I have a bachelor in science and I really like things to be proven and to make sense and to be able to touch them and see them. This, the whole idea of spirituality for me is not, uh, it doesn't make sense, you know, yet here I am (laughs) believing so deeply and knowing so definitely, Mm. you know, for me, I'm, I'm open to, to that changing, but it's it's for sure a, a, a pretty hard and fast belief system for me at the moment. So I guess as a scientist, I really went searching and I wanted to be able to prove that that, you know, our soul, our essence, it's it goes somewhere and where does it go? And, you know, so I really, I looked into the work of Bruce Lipton, who in my opinion really meets spirituality and science uh, perfectly. And 
you know, <laughs> I, I, I've also done uh, some energy healing modalities and um, I'm a qualified body talk practitioner, which is essentially body work, like kind of like Reiki. And um, mm -hmm. in that, you know, we know that there's like seven octillion atoms or something in our body, like many, 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 right? And they're really just tiny spinning vortexes of energy. And this man, Bruce Lipton, he teaches that, you know, energy can never die. And we know that in science, energy can't die. You know, water turns into vapor and sure, we can't see the vapor anymore, but it still exists. And, and we're similar, we're energy. So if energy can never die and we are energy, you know, then we can only really transform. So on an intellectual level, I kind of went, aha, <laughs> that, you know, there it is, even if we don't know exactly where we go. But, you know, I also kind of think of this idea of if you take a frog, I don't know, or, or a human, but it's probably less, uh, <laughs> less in your face. Well, it's also what you're used to in a science yeah. lab, right? Everybody in biology had to dissect a frog at one point or another. Exactly. So, <laughs> so, you know, if you take all of the parts of a frog and its, its legs and its head and its arms and its brain and its organs and its blood and all of its things, and, you know, you put it in a, a bucket or, or a Petri dish, let's say, let's be real scientists, you know, it wouldn't just magically become a live frog right? It would just be all of its mush in a bucket. It really needs that, you know, the universal consciousness, the soul, its essence to make it a living, moving being. And I sort of think, where, where does that come from? You know, it's got to come from somewhere and it's got to go to somewhere because energy can never die. And so really that, that notion is, is what um, held me through all of this. And then, you know, I just read many, 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 many <laughs> various um, textbooks uh, around, yeah, spiritual teachings and all of the philosophies. Love it. I love it. Now, you mentioned that the, the Pat is a psychiatrist, you mentioned, or psychologist? Yeah. Psychologist. And so when did you both meet? Did you know him when your dad died and you mentioned he was um, – He's helped you in your grief journey as well. So uh, tell us a little bit about that dynamic. Yeah, so no, I hadn't met Pat uh, before my dad died. I was actually in a relationship with another man at the time. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's interesting. I had this real need for whoever I spend my life with to have met my dad. <laughs> and so I actually probably mm -hmm. stayed in that relationship for longer than I should have, thinking, well, he's met my dad. They have a relationship. You know, I, I want that to continue but ultimately I, I uh you know that relationship ended and uh I met Pat at a beach randomly in Darwin with his dog and it yeah it's quite a funny story because look honestly I do, it wasn't the greatest first impression <laughs> for him or for you who, who didn't oh, look, have the first the I, best look it depends who you talk to but if I tell the story which I get to <laughs> It's, this is your space. You've got the mic. Sophie's got the mic, so Sophie gets to say her her side of the story. If Pat wants to say his side of the story, he's got to come on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah he doesn't get to say. And you know, look, uh, look. The way that I tell the story is that he was all about Sophie, <laughs> and I thought he was a little bit too um, uh, 
uh, energetic and how do I say it in a nice way? I call him uh, a little, he was a bit fake in the every, so we kind of met and we went for a little walk along the beach and he was very, hi, how are you to everyone? <laughs> I remember thinking, geez, this guy's very out there and loud and, and it's really, yeah, it, it's not his true essence. He is a beautiful caring loving man that isn't fake and is yeah it's it's funny. Uh, it's so funny because people think it's like it has to be love at first sight my husband the same like he thought I was stuck up he thought I was like so like you know uh, and I thought he was just way too quiet which is uh, true <laughs> but <laughs> that's still true and I guess maybe I am stuck up I don't know but <laughs> but it was not one of those like you know, moments either. <laughs> uh, all right. So then that relationship then, of course, now here we are two babies later. So how has it been then now as you're exploring grief then? And you mentioned you didn't have tools when your dad died. So what, how did you process the grief then? And then how is it, how have you continued processing that grief now? How How has it kind of developed and shifted through the years yeah look I cried a lot <laughs> that was my that was my early experience um, but with the crying a lot I suffered and I've now since learned that you don't have to suffer so much um, I've I've changed my mindset but really my the shifting point was meeting Pat and I initially mm -hmm. thought oh it's because he's a psychologist and he's used his psychology mind on me and isn't he so great but really what I've learned is, no, it was that I was just being witnessed. I was just being held in a safe, loving environment where I could grieve without justifying myself. And he let me be sad and he let me be angry and he let me be all the things that I needed to be in that moment. And he took the kids when I... <laughs> needed to scream into a pillow and or you know go mm. for a walk and he held me you know in my closet while I was crying you know because some new memory came up so for me it, it's it's neither here nor there that he was a psychologist in the end it, it was just mm. that I was given full permission to feel however I needed to feel mm. Mm. That had he experienced aside himself a grief experience himself that made him be so intuitive to allow you to grieve that way again and as we said yes psychology might have helped him in that aspect a little bit but um had he gone through something uh, not in relation to the death of a loved one death. Mm -hmm. um he himself had has been through um uh, i'd say essentially normal life challenges and really okay. to get through those shone a light at himself and looked at where am i creating some of these challenges and what can i do about it mm -hmm. and i think through coming into a space of knowing really who he is and knowing mm -hmm. what he stands for and being really firm with his boundaries in that he had come to a space where he could just witness without putting his own stuff into it. Judgment. Yes. Yeah. And without judgment, mm -hmm. yeah, which is a lot of times what we do. And also not only 
the um, the judgment, but the aspect of wanting to fix, yes. right? That that part of of that sometimes people feel so uncomfortable witnessing somebody going through something because we have this tendency of feeling like we have to fix them, <laughs> and so or we right so that and that's not helpful in our grief journey sometimes. And yeah. I guess the the other the other gift I guess that that Pat gave me was unconditional support to mm-hmm. do whatever I felt that I was drawn to and um, you know we <laughs> can tell some of my belief systems are potentially a bit out there and pretty weird and wild and wacky and and he doesn't hold some of the same belief systems but mm-hmm. he is more than happy to support me and mine and you know you asked how my grief journey has sort of um shifted and formed and you know and now I you know it sort of started of just being witnessed and you know and actually allowing myself to feel the emotions and really um have somatic experiences of them where you know oh wow what does this feel like in my body oh you know my heart races my shoulders move in this way you know how do Mm -hmm. I want to how can I shift this energy from being stagnated within me and you know, I still I still use those um, somatic practices, but I also now use uh, similar to what I did when I birthed my son, my um, Finn, my one and a half year old, the same sort of um, hypnotic meditative practice that I have, um, which allows me to connect into that universal consciousness, that source, that energy, you know, God, if, if that's what um, others call it mm-hmm. and for me that's the space where my dad lives mm. and so now I almost don't have to grieve him so much because I still have direct access to him <laughs> mm. it's so beautiful yeah like you've already found that little hidden door through <laughs> Through another little hidden door to be able to access that little portal through this uh, way of doing this hypnotic, you know, uh, breathing and practice meditation as well to be able to uh, access him. Or as you were mentioning earlier, you had had uh, dreams as well that you felt that were symbolic as well, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. I remember vividly the first dream that he came to me was actually I, I have a a meditation that I take clients through now and I'm moving into doing them in a group setting and it's based on this uh, dream that I had that you know he sort of appeared to me and he wasn't in a wheelchair anymore he was walking and he was whole and happy and safe and and he told me that you know and we got to meet again and touch and hug and look deeply intimately into each other's eyes and not even have to say too much I mean in time we did and you know but this that that first meeting of him across the veil that I had that came to me in a dream is uh one that I go back to often and one that I'm really grateful Mm -hmm. that I can now um walk people through in my own work so that they can have a similar experience. So beautiful, my goodness. Like now you are, you can help others unlock that mm-hmm. little door 
as well and and go through there so tell us about that work that you do a, a little bit dive deeper into that and how it is that you decided that wait this is what i'm supposed to be doing this happened this is what i've lived this is what i've learned and as you were mentioning earlier, uh, this happened for my growth and my, right, like you mentioned. So how did you decide to now use that to help others? Yes, you use the word decide. I don't know that I ever decided. I feel <laughs> it just happened. It honestly, yeah. it just has felt like it happened. And my partner the other day said to me, so did we actually, when did we decide that you were going to start your own business? Do we, do we actually decide that? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It just seems to have just naturally happened yeah. so it, it is so like uh fluid yes. as it occurred right it just flowed into place basically yes okay so how did it flow <laughs> let me take away the word decide how did it flow to be what it is right now and continues to flow into developing to be <laughs> is that better yes. Yes. is that a better I okay. resist the word decide <laughs> And I welcome the word flow. Thank you. <laughs> no, I guess, You're <laughs> I guess after my son was born, I had many uh, nights up breastfeeding, you know, thinking, how am I going to pass the time? And with my first, it was, you know, games on my phone or all the distraction techniques that I could possibly think of because I was still, I guess, acutely and actively grieving the loss of my dad. Whereas now I, I feel like I don't need to do that you know, I'm in a, I'm in a wonderful space. And I just intuitively kind of went, what interests me? What am I into? And this is where I started to think, oh, I'd really love to provide that experience that I got in my dream to others. And, you know, as you say, so I think, I think in the intro, which I feel like I've forgotten all about now, you said that I was a spiritual grief coach. So, you know, I really help women and mostly mothers, I guess, because they're sort of the circles that I, I currently run in and where I make most of my connections. But really women who are grieving the loss of a loved one, you know, to sort of help them move from that space of feeling really lost and lonely. And stuck and stuck sometimes because of like you were mentioning about moving, yes. right? The energy through. Yeah. And really, yeah. Helping them to shift into a similar space to where I've gotten to that expanded version. That's, that's at peace with, that the new filter that we have to look at the world through, you know? Oh, so beautiful. So beautiful. So how do they connect with you? Do you, are you the sessions online? Are the sessions in person? Are they over the phone? How is it that you um, interact with your clients? Cause of course we'll be putting your information below here in the show notes for people to reach you. So, how is, how is that interaction? So I do everything online. Um, I'm a working mama, so it really helps me to be able to, and then I can obviously uh, help people worldwide depending on time zones. But mm -hmm. um, yes, it's all online. I am, I'm wondering whether I should, yeah, I'll tell, I'll tell your listeners about um, an offering that I've got. Some of the yeah, offerings yeah, you have. You yes, go ahead. Yeah, even though they will hear this probably after the offering. The offering that Kendry might be referring to, I can talk about something else. Uh, the one that Kendry is referring to is something called Continued Connections, which is where I take uh, people through that immersive journey. Um, but potentially that will have already been and gone by the time this is aired. So what's probably mm -hmm. more 
uh, relevant and that would still be in the future for those listening would be my Grief to Glow Sisterhood, um, which is a three-month online group coaching program for these grieving women. And it's really for anyone who is in that space of feeling like really lost and lonely and anyone that's ready to sort of stop suffering alone in silence, feeling misunderstood and overwhelmed, you know. And it's, I guess it is for spiritually open or spiritually curious women who are really wanting (laughs) that want that that community, you know, and for them to kind of come together and acknowledge that like this kind of is awful. (laughs) You know, like grief is Mm -hmm. awful. And to sort of say to each other, like, I'm gonna sit with you in that awfulness. You know, you don't have to carry that that weight of the pain of grief alone. You know, let's all sort of carry it together. Let's band together. And I sort of break the course into two parts where the first is really around that grief mindset and provides some sort of uh, grief and death literacy, I guess, and mm-hmm. to kind of help us meet that <laughs> the awfulness in sort of a new and expanded way. And then I... No, oh, that's beautiful. It's, oh, I'm, I'm so excited. It's going to be the first time that I'm running it in this way. I've done sort of the um, one-on-one work with women, but to bring it together in this group setting, you know, when women come together, like magical stuff happens. <laughs> you know, the, mm-hmm. the energy is potent. Agreed. Yeah, it's a, it's a matter of the village, right? Mm-hmm. That aspect of village in which we are, that's how we are meant to be in community. So, um, so that's, that's wonderful. And so then the second part, you said that's the first part. And then the second part of the journey of the workshop. The second half sort of of this three month um, coaching program is that we look at how we can actually continue our relationship with our person that died. And, you know, I, I use various sort of spiritual teachings and then I hold weekly immersive experiences where we can train our mind to connect into that, that state of relaxation, that this sort of um, state where we can intuitively connect into, you know, source consciousness, whatever. And um, that's where we get this visceral experience of seeing our loved one again. And, you know, not everyone sees it in the same way. I'm a very visual person. Others sort of can connect in through auditory feelings or just a sense of knowing. But, yeah, the second half is really uh, attuning us to that sort of frequency. Uh, I'm listening and I'm, like, hearing how at the beginning we started talking about you growing up atheist (laughs) And then here it is, you know, what it is you do. It's all about spirituality and connecting with, you know, the source and energy and and allowing ourselves to connect. It's like incredible what, oh, how much growth and changes we undergo in our oh, lives. Good, and, it's quite uh, a journey. <laughs> And I say, you know, I have my mother that lives across the road and I, I have a, a brother who lives next door and I have another brother that lives two houses up. And uh, Oh, my goodness. You guys are in a little commune kind of little uh, space, you know, like you're oh, all... Oh, yeah, we're taking them yeah, 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 it's, it's amazing. <laughs> we all have kids the same age, but, yeah, they are still very much uh, atheists. <laughs> and so I'm kind of the weird, crazy, wild auntie or sister or daughter or <laughs> whoever it is. 
That is, that was actually going to ask you, yeah, like what, what your mom then thinks of your, uh, your belief system now, but you were also the only one that was there with your dad when he passed. Is correct. that correct? Yeah. Well, the yeah. night that he, you know, I sort of found him on the floor and did the CPR and got him to the hospital. We all met there and were told, you know, this, he's not going to survive. And we all said our goodbyes. And I, we all went home, you know, 2am, whatever, but I was the only one that went back the next day. I had sort of said to myself, if they call and tell me that he died, well, so be it. But when I woke up the next morning and there was no missed call on my phone, I just knew that he was kind of waiting for me, you know, just me and I. That is beautiful. I want to ask you, even though that this is not something you just, you know, mentioned about him becoming um, quadriplegic when you were nine, mm -hmm. uh, and then you know, later on then at 18, pretty much you becoming his caretaker. How, how was that for you, that experience um, of having, do you remember your dad before you were nine? Like the things he was, this could be a completely other <laughs> oh, podcast. Uh, yeah. I, I see my brain goes into these, all these questions. Like how, how was it for you then at nine Having a dad that's super, you know, probably active. I'm not sure what you, do you remember yeah. that yeah. contrast of that age? Okay. Would you mind uh, touching up a little bit on oh, that? Absolutely. It's interesting. You know, now I'm coming to the age where I have my own children and I often think like, wow, if my partner Pat became a quadriplegic, I could see how that could affect my life, you know, but as a mm -hmm. nine-year-old girl, it didn't affect me in a negative way. I, my dad was still cognitively there. It was just his physical body that mm -hmm. no longer worked for him, right? Mm -hmm. And for me, like he couldn't work anymore. He was at home all the time. And I had forever access mm -hmm. to my dad, to the person that I loved more than anything in the world. And it was great. <laughs> you know, it was, it was hard <laughs> to watch him in pain. He had a lot of nerve pain. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, mm -hmm. I would have taken that away from for him in an instant, but I wouldn't have taken the injury and the fact that he became a quadriplegic away because that's where his and my bond really was able to form mm -hmm. deeply. And again, that's where looking back, I guess, on my life and the things that happened to me and my family that I now see as happening for me and my family, you know, I wouldn't change it. And that's where my trust comes in of like, look at that opportunity that that what most people would view as this horrible thing to happen to a family. For me, it was a gift. And, you know, maybe I didn't see it mm. as a nine-year-old. I don't think I saw that at the time. I just kind of thought, oh, everyone else seems really sad, but <laughs> I kind of get to hang out with my dad all the time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're like, he gets to watch all the shows I like because he's here. He's next to me. He gets to, you know, just see me play. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, you, he, he wasn't busy. Yeah. He was there. He was present. So therefore that, that did create, uh, you feeling seen also then, Absolutely. right. By your dad. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I was wondering like, if you had like a remembered, you know, Oh, he used to go to my, you know, we used to play ball together and then now we didn't, but no, it was quite it, the opposite. It I love that intellectual that. connection that we really, that was really strong for us. Mm -hmm. He and I had such a similar or almost the same sense of humor and we were really able to laugh at him in a wheelchair you know which sounds crazy and horrible and all the things but no things were funny and we found humor and joy in our circumstance 
Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a huge part for a lot of us, humor in our journey with grief. And that was, you know, that was, he was grieving the fact that he no longer could walk, right? But but using humor even in that process um, kind of makes it just a little less painful yeah. too, right? Oh, wow. No, that, that yeah, that could totally... Thank you for it. it uh, <laughs> what I was going to say, um, I, I lost the word. I sometimes lose the words, like just entertaining the idea of going into that route of sharing with me about your your life uh, with your dad as a quadriplegic. Thank mm -hmm. you. Um, okay, Sophie. So let's then tell people how they can get in touch with you. And before we go, I'll ask you if there's anything else uh, you have not been able to share that I have not asked you. <laughs> My no. whole life story, no. Uh, yes. <laughs> I'll come back next week and the week after and the week after. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> so it's probably easiest to find me on Instagram. So I am at the underscore grief underscore revolution. Or you could probably just type my name in Sophie Mills. Uh and yes, the that grief to grow, grief to glow sisterhood uh, three month experience that I referenced before is probably what will be coming up for listeners. And for that, it's also through Instagram. What if somebody listening does not have Instagram? Is there any other like, um, would they be able to access the grief to glow any other way? Yes, uh, I mean even through Instagram, best to DM me. Uh, because it's going to be okay. a small and intimate group and we want to make sure that we're all okay. kind of aligned. But uh, yes, email would be the other way, which is sophie at thegriefrevolution.com.au. Uh, I'm also on Facebook under the same name. You can find me at Sophie Mills or The Grief Revolution with Sophie on Facebook. Many, many ways. Perfect. And then smoke signals if they also would like to try that route. Or just get into a really deep meditation and contact her that yeah, way. I'll, she I'll, will listen. I'll our we'll just meet you in that middle. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> just yeah, come in, come in. Um, now, anything that you want to share with the listeners that I did not um, ask? One, some last words of either encouragement or of thought oh, no. for us to. Well, my. What's, I guess what I stand for, what the message that I really want to get across to everyone, if pretending I only had, you know, 15 seconds, even though I've had 45 beautiful minutes of your time, would be that death is beautiful and sacred. And I challenge people to view it in that way and to see if there's any room in their thinking to see it that way, to reframe it into something that is beautiful and sacred. So beautiful. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. And yes, we could go on for another <laughs> hour easily. <laughs> part two, part two. I could always keep on talking with it all my guests for longer. It's just such a, such an intriguing uh, topic and it's always, um, curious to know how people get to where they are with their beliefs or how they navigate their journey. So thank you so much, Sophie Mills, for joining us and sharing your story with us. And to the listeners, you know now how to contact her. Make sure to check the show notes so that you get the 
uh, all the different links to the um, accounts, social media accounts, so you can access her. Thank you once again, Sophie, and to the kids too, and Pat for watching the kids. Kudos to Pat for watching Finn and Cooper <laughs> while we did the podcast. <laughs> I made it through without them running through the door. <laughs> yeah. You made it through. I didn't make it without my dog barking, which we're, we're, I'll have to edit it after we get off. So <laughs> thank you again, thank dear. You. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.